Let's continue in prayer as we come to read from God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the compassion you have shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord God, without you, we were lost, but now we are found. Without you, we were destined to die, but now with you, we've been given the free gift of eternal life. And we praise you and thank you so much for those amazing gifts, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray now for your glory. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me that I might preach words that are true, that I might explain um, your truth from your word in the book of Isaiah in a way that is glorifying to you. And I pray for each of us. May we hear from you this morning. May you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Challenge and encourage us, I pray. I pray our eyes would be lifted to see your glory and to be filled with hope. Lord, may you increase our faith in Jesus Christ this morning. And may you grow our knowledge of your power, knowledge of your presence with us and knowledge of your almighty loving hand upon every aspect of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. If you're struggling with worry and fear this morning, this sermon is for you. If you want to be reminded and comforted by the awesome power of God, then this sermon is for you. If you're interested in Jewish prophecy and how hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, prophets were prophesying about Jesus' birth, life and death, then this sermon is for you. And whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you're listening this morning and you're seeking for hope and stability, even in such a time as this, then this sermon and this passage in Isaiah chapter 7 is for you. Let's read together. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 to 16. Next week I will preach on the second half of the chapter from verses 17 to 25. But this morning I'm just going to read Isaiah 7 1 to 16. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. 
because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two, ki whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Let's start by unpacking the situation in Isaiah chapter 7, particularly in verses 1 and 2. Rezin, the king of Syria, has formed an alliance Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel. Syria and Israel have come together to conquer the city of Jerusalem and to set up their own man to be king over Jerusalem, to overthrow Ahaz as king and to put their own man on the throne. And in response to that threat of Syria and Israel united together, Ahaz and all his people are filled with fear. It says in verse two, doesn't it? The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Imagine a storm or a great wind passing through a forest and how much the leaves on the trees would shake in the wind. That's how Ahaz and his people all felt in their hearts. Their hearts were shaking with terror at this alliance of Syria and Israel. I wonder if that's how you're feeling this morning. Or maybe during the past week, you felt that kind of fear at the situation facing us right now. I know many people are experiencing that kind of fear and worry in their lives. Even if you're not experiencing that, you will at some point in your life face certain circumstances or certain difficulties that mean you are tempted to feel faint-hearted in that moment. There's something scary on the horizon that is impacting your heart. Maybe some of you this morning are at risk yourselves from coronavirus and your heart shakes with fear or, or you have a loved one who is at risk from coronavirus and you really are worried and scared about what is going to happen to them. Maybe your, your circumstances have changed. Maybe you've lost your job because of coronavirus. Or maybe you're just really struggling with being at home and self-isolating. 
for a long period of time and, and you're, you are really fearful and you're hot, you could be said to be shaking as a wind in the leaves of a forest. What would God say to you this morning? Well, here's how God deals with Ahaz in a similar situation. God sends a prophet to Ahaz, the prophet Isaiah. And can I just say as a quick aside, if you have prophetic gifting, if, if you have had words and pictures for people in the past to encourage them and comfort them, don't stop now. Just because you aren't seeing um, church face to face, you aren't seeing people face to face, do not give up on that gift of prophecy which God has given to you. He's given you that gift for such a time as this. And there are people who need that prophetic encouragement, that prophetic comfort, those prophetic words from God. So if you are prophetic, pray. Seek God, listen on behalf of people and share with others the words that God is giving to you. We need that gift in the church right now. So don't don't step aside, but step up and use that gift. Because this is how God deals with Ahaz. He sends the prophet Isaiah. And so Isaiah, with his son, goes to speak with Ahaz. And he brings these prophetic words to King Ahaz. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. That word careful that God uses through the prophet Isaiah is from the Hebrew word shamar, which means to keep. And so Isaiah is instructing Ahaz to keep watch over his heart, to pay attention to his heart, to be on his guard at the fear that he is feeling. And I think God would say the same to us this morning. Church, keep watch over yourselves. Be careful with your heart. Pay attention to how you are feeling and what you are thinking, what's going on internally during this situation. Pay attention and keep watch over yourselves. Because this is a moment where fear could take and shake and overwhelm your heart. And so God would say, pay attention, be careful, keep watch over yourselves. Be careful. Be quiet. When you become fearful, you become agitated. Maybe you, you shout and you complain loudly. Or maybe you ring people up and all you can talk about is all the worry and fear that you're handling. Or maybe you even post on social media and you say, this is what I'm struggling with. When, you, when you're fearful, you become agitated. Some people don't vocalise that agitation. They, they keep it inside. But internally, they are churning over all the problems and worries that they are facing. They're becoming more and more agitated. But God says through Isaiah, be quiet, be peaceful, don't be agitated, but be still. I think it's important during this season where there's a temptation to spend all day in front of a computer screen. It's very important that we take a break, we switch off our screens and we stop and we sit and we be still with God. Be quiet before him. We give him all our agitations and say, you take my worries. You take my concerns. Let me just be with you. 
make sure you do that today, make sure you do that tomorrow and keep doing that on a daily basis, find 5, 10, 15 minutes to be still in the presence of God. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Make sure you deliberately practice that verse, Christians, in the weeks ahead and you will find greater peace in Christ during circumstances. So God says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your hearts be faint. As Christians, we're called to have soft hearts. We're called to have warm hearts, but we're also called to have strong hearts. We have soft, not hard hearts, which means we, we love and care for the needy and those who need our compassion, we're soft to the needs of others. We, but the concerns of others are also our concerns because we have soft hearts. We should have warm hearts. We should love others deeply. We should love God. We should have warm heart towards God whom we love. Warm, not cold hearts. But we also must have strong, not faint hearts. When trials and challenges in this world come upon us, we must have strong hearts so that those challenges do not shake and overwhelm us. But instead, we stand firm in faith with strong hearts. We have to have soft, warm, strong hearts, just like Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, had a soft heart and a warm heart and a strong heart. He had a soft heart in the he cared for others. When he saw those who were in need, those who needed healing, he had compassion upon those who were in need. He had a warm heart. He, he was a great man of compassion towards others, but he also warmly loved his father. When, when Jesus Christ, God the Son, spoke of God the Father, he spoke with warmth and love towards him. Jesus Christ had a soft heart and a warm heart, and he had a strong heart. Jesus Christ, God the Son, had a mission. To die on the cross for the sins of the world. And that was a painful, difficult mission. A faint-hearted man would have shrunk back and refused to do it. But Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, was strong-hearted. And for the joy set before him, knowing that many Christians would be saved, for the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. He showed that he had a strong heart by, by the way in which he was strong-hearted in going to the cross dying for us upon the cross. Jesus had a, a soft heart. He has a warm heart and he has a strong heart. And we too must have those things. So God says to Ahaz through Isaiah, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. And I believe he would say the same thing to us this morning. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. But that's easier said than done. And so at the end of verse four, God speaks in metaphor to try and help Ahaz and his people and um, conquer their fear in this moment. You see that at the end of verse 4? At the end of verse 4, God describes the king of Syria 
and the king of Israel, these two kings who have allied, the threats that Ahaz is worried about, God describes those kings as two smouldering stumps of firebrand. You know, Ahaz in his fear is seeing these two kings unite and what he's seeing is a great forest fire, a wildfire spreading rapidly and dangerously and burning down all in its path. But what God sees is two smouldering stumps that will very quickly burn down and be extinguished. This threat to the city of Jerusalem will be extinguished very quickly in God's eyes. Can I say this morning that coronavirus is also a smouldering stump in the context of eternity. As Christians, we can use that phrase often in the context of eternity by the measuring stick of eternity. That's That should be our perspective on the world. As Christians, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been given the free gift of eternal life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you will not die. You have eternal life with Christ. And when you die here on earth, you will go to be with Jesus in paradise forever. You've been given eternal life. And so we can measure things by the measuring stick of eternity. We can have that eternal perspective on things. And, and from an eternal perspective, coronavirus is a smouldering stump. I don't mean to downplay the seriousness of coronavirus. Hundreds of people in this country have already died as a consequence of coronavirus, uh, and the rate of infection is increasing or decreasing in this country. It is a very, very serious thing. But as Christians, I want us to see coronavirus in that eternal perspective that we've been given as eternal citizens of heaven. Uh, and from an eternal perspective, however long coronavirus lasts, whether it's four weeks or three months or six months or even longer than that, however this long this season lasts, from an eternal perspective, coronavirus is a smouldering stump that will be extinguished and will burn out. You can do this with not just coronavirus, but all of life's challenges and difficulties. We promised in scripture that when Jesus returns and we live in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be an end to sorrow and sadness. There'll be an end to pain and to death. And we'll live eternally with, with, our, with God here on the new heavens and the new earth. It will be amazing. And so that means in that eternal context, all trials and challenges and difficulties are smouldering stumps. Consider this. God in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 12, is described as a consuming fire. The king of Israel and the king of Syria are smouldering stumps. Coronavirus is a smouldering stump. Life difficulties, life's pains, all diseases are smouldering stumps that will one day be extinguished. But God is an eternal consuming fire. I think that imagery is very, very helpful. If you're struggling with fear in this season, use that imagery. Think of your problems. Think of what's making you scared as a smouldering stump that will one day be extinguished by the consuming eternal fire of God. We have nothing to fear if we're safe with Christ. We have nothing to fear if we trust in the God who is a consuming fire. And, that, and that's what 
Isaiah, that's what God is saying to King Ahaz during this time. This alliance will not stand. What they have planned will not come to pass. They are just smouldering stumps which will be extinguished. But God doesn't stop there, does he, in this story, in Isaiah chapter 7. God continues to comfort and be very generous to King Ahaz in this story. Have a look at verse 11. This is what God says to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. God's saying to Ahaz, if you don't believe me that the king of Syria and the king of Israel will be extinguished, then ask a sign of me and I will do it. Make it the biggest sign you can think of. Make it as high as heaven or as deep as the grave and I will do it to prove to you that my power has no rival. My power is unrivaled and I will do it to prove that my words are true. You can trust what I say. Ask a sign of me and it will be done, says God to Ahaz. But Ahaz responds, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test in verse 12. And on first reading, that might seem like a a faith-filled response. You could read it as Ahaz saying, oh, I don't need to, I don't need a sign, God. I don't need to test you. I already trust you. In reality, that's not what was happening. The same story is told in 2 Kings chapter 16. And in 2 Kings chapter 16, Ahaz, instead of trusting in God, forms an alliance with Assyria. So you've got the king of Israel and the king of Syria uh, forming an alliance together to invade Jerusalem and Judah. And Ahaz's response is to pay gold to the empire of Assyria for protection. He doesn't go to God for protection, he goes to a bigger empire, the empire of Assyria. In fact, what King Ahaz does is take gold out of the temple of God in order to pay the Assyrian empire for protection. So Ahaz's response isn't a response of faith. It's, it's instead him saying, I actually don't, I'm not going to use you, God. I don't need your sign because you're not who I'm going to for help in this situation. So God responds again through Isaiah, essentially saying, you are trying my patience. Isaiah says, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? If you will not ask for a sign, I will give you one. And so we read verses 14 to 16, this famous verse which is often quoted at Christmas time. This is what God says. You will not ask for a sign, I'll give you one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This is one of those glorious Jewish prophecies that has two fulfillments. 
There's an immediate fulfillment for King Ahaz in 700 BC. And then there's a greater fulfillment of the prophecy in the New Testament and in the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. It's got two fulfillments. So let's, let's talk about the immediate fulfillment and the immediate meaning first. God says, the virgin shall conceive. The, word for vir- the Hebrew word for virgin there is the word Alma, which actually doesn't explicitly mean virgin. It simply means young woman. And so what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is there is a young woman who is not yet pregnant. There is an Alma and she will conceive and give birth to a son. And he, that son will be given the name Emmanuel. Before that boy is 13 years old, when a Jewish boy turns 13, he's given a bar mitzvah and it's a symbol of that boy becoming a man. It's a a symbol of the moment when that boy is old enough to determine what is good and what is evil and and to make good decisions, good moral decisions by himself. He knows at that moment how to refuse the evil and choose the good. He's turned 13. And And so what Isaiah is saying in this prophecy is, this, this woman who's not yet pregnant, she's going to get pregnant, she's going to conceive a son. And before that boy is 13 years old, the land of Syria and the land of Israel will be deserted. Those nations will be no threat to you at all. That's the sign that God gives to King Ahaz. 13 years and nine months time, those two nations will be no threat their land will be deserted. And this prophecy is fulfilled in chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 3, a woman conceives and gives birth to a child called Maher Shalal Hashbaz. His birth in, in chapter 8, verse 4, is connected with the defeat of Damascus and Samaria, the capitals of Syria and Israel. So this this boy's birth in some way declares the defeat of the capitals of these two nations which are united against Judah. Then in verse 8 God brings a prophecy through Isaiah the prophet and the prophecy is spoken through Isaiah but spoken to this newborn baby. At the end of verse 8 The prophecy which God brings, at the end of this prophecy, God calls this newborn baby, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, admittedly not a very popular name in the UK these days. Um, God calls this baby, not Maher Shalal Hashbaz, but instead he calls the baby, O Emmanuel. And so so Isaiah's son, born in chapter 8, is the immediate fulfilment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. His conception and his birth is a sign that the nations of Israel and Syria will soon be defeated and their land will be deserted. If Ahaz was listening closely to God's prophecy, he would have rejoiced. When the prophetess became pregnant, he would have said, yes, Now we know that this word of God is going to be fulfilled, that these two nations, Israel and Syria, will not prevail. 
And then when she gave birth to a son and there was more prophecy, she said, yes, it's true. God's word is true. God is powerful and mighty. Israel will be defeated. Syria will be defeated. We need not fear these nations. The sign of the birth of Mahashalel Hashbaz should have said to King Ahaz, God is with you. God is powerful and his words are true. However, I think careful readers would have been looking for a greater fulfilment of Isaiah 7 verse 14 as well. If you read this, this text carefully, I think you would expect a greater fulfilment to be coming after Mahal Shalal Hashbaz. And the first reason I think we should be looking for a greater fulfilment is what God says in verse 11. In, in verse 11, God says, ask for a sign. It can be as high as the heavens or as deep as the grave, as deep as Sheol. And for me, this prophetess naturally conceiving a baby and giving birth and Mahal Shalal Hashbaz being born, doesn't reach those great heights or those great depths of the miraculous sign that God seemed to offer to King Ahaz at the beginning of this passage. And so I think um, a faithful reader of the text, a careful reader of the text would be saying, well, I'm expecting something greater. I'm expecting a sign that is high, as high as heaven and as deep as Sheol, and that has yet to come. So I'm expecting something greater to come. The other reason that a careful reader um, should be expecting a greater is because of the prophecy in Isaiah 9. Remember that we, we put in the chapter numbers and the verse numbers much, much later. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 9 is one piece of writing. It is to be read together. And in Isaiah 9, there is another prophecy about a baby to be born. To us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in, in chapter 7, we're given a prophecy about a baby who will be called God with us. In chapter 9, we're given a prophecy about a baby who will be called Mighty God. I think someone meditating on these scriptures would start to think, it would make sense if that was the same baby. If they're to be called God with us, it would also make sense if this baby was called Mighty God. I think that's what Jewish scholars were doing when they read Isaiah. In history, um, there are Jewish writings where Isaiah 7 verse 14 is considered to be a messianic verse. The prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 is definitely a messianic verse. It talks about this baby sitting on the throne of David and the increase of his government going on forever and ever. The, the baby in chapter 9 is definitely the Messiah. But I think that Jewish scholars were making the connection between chapter 7 and chapter 9. And there are Jewish writings which describe Isaiah 7.14 as a messianic verse. What's more, when this verse, Isaiah 7.14, was translated into Greek, over a hundred years before Jesus was born in the Septuagint. They used the word Parthenos to translate the Hebrew word Alma. Instead of young woman, they used the word virgin, Parthenos, which definitely in the Greek it is, is much more explicit about referring to an actual virgin rather than just a young woman. And so I think Jewish writers, Jewish scholars, 
we're genuinely anticipating a fuller, greater fulfilment of Isaiah 7, verse 14. And when Matthew, the gospel writer, the Jew who had believed in Jesus, saw the virgin birth, saw the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus Christ and wrote about it in his gospel. He wrote of it as a fulfilment of Isaiah 7 verse 14, because what Matthew saw in the birth of Jesus was a sign that was higher than heaven, as deep as Sheol. Matthew sees Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, as the true fulfilment of Isaiah 7 verse 14. And I think that's amazing when we start to think about what that means. If Jesus truly is the fulfilment of Isaiah 7, verse 14, that's astonishing and is so meaningful for us right now. Think of it like this. What did Ahaz need in Isaiah 7 in a sign? I think he needs to know three things. Ahaz needed to know that God was with him. Ahaz needed to know that God was powerful. And Ahaz needed to know that God's words were true. He needed to know those three things in Isaiah 7. In this difficult circumstance he found himself in, he needed to know those three things. In Jesus' virgin birth, in Jesus being born of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary, we can know all three of those things are true. We can know that God is with us. We can know that God is powerful and we can know that God's words are true. We can know that God is with us because Jesus was God born in human flesh. He had this supernatural virgin birth in order to show us that God the Father was truly his father and that he was divine. He was God being born into the world. That the virgin birth, Jesus' birth, is the ultimate act of God associating himself with humanity. And so in Christ and in the virgin birth, God came physically to be with humanity and to rescue them from their sins. And so we can say, we can truly say this, God is with humanity because he was with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, who was God. But we can also say that God is with us personally this morning. Because Jesus lived, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave on the third day on Easter Sunday. He ascended into heaven and from heaven, God the Father and God the Son breathed out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, is God himself. And he is called, the Holy Spirit is called, the Spirit of Christ. And and as Jesus breathed out the Holy Spirit, he gave the Holy Spirit to every Christian believer. So we don't just say God is with humanity in general because Jesus was physically here on earth. We say that God is with every Christian believer individually because the Holy Spirit is God and and he has been breathed out to every Christian believer. So right now, wherever you are, if you believe in Christ, God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. By the virgin birth, we also know that God is powerful. We know that God has unrivaled power. The might of Syria and Israel combined was no match for the power of God. 
God is so powerful, he could do a miraculous act that a virgin could give birth to a baby boy. That's the power of our God. He can do the miraculous. He can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible for him because he has all power and all authority. The virgin birth is an encouragement to us because it reminds us of the power of God to do the miraculous. And finally, because of the virgin birth, we know God's words are true. 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophecy in Isaiah 7 verse 14, which spoke of a virgin conceiving and giving birth. That was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. That is a sure sign that when God speaks, his promises are true and his words are always trustworthy. Next week, I will preach on verses 17 to 25 when God brings a message of judgment. But as I close this morning, I want to reflect on that prophecy in chapter 7, verse 14, and, and the fact that that prophecy was fulfilled most brilliantly and beautifully in the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask, what difference does that make to our lives? What difference does it make to your life? that Jesus was born a virgin? And I think the answer is that if we remind ourselves, if we know those three things are true, if we know that God is with us in the person of Christ and by the Holy Spirit, if we know that God is so powerful, he can even do the miraculous miracle of a virgin giving birth, and if we know that God's words are true, those three truths should radically alter the way we live. Think about the way you pray. Do you pray continuously like God is always with you? Do you pray big, passionate prayers thinking that God is all powerful, that you can do all things? Or do you pray just little things? Or do you pray big things knowing God is the one who caused the virgin birth to happen? He can do the miraculous. Do you preach the words of scripture. Do you read this book and say, Lord, you say this in your word and your words are always trustworthy and true. And therefore, I pray that you would do this in our day, in our time. I pray that you would do this now. That's what our prayer lives would look like. If we truly believe in this prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven. And we truly believe God is with us and God is powerful and his words are true. Our prayer lives would be big and bold and mighty. They would be continuous knowing that God is always with us and we'd be praying out the words of scripture. How would our Bible reading look different? I think we would be searching the scriptures, looking for promises so that we can cling to them and remember them, knowing that God's words are true. You're hungry for the word because God's words are true and God is with us to help us understand this. I think some people stay away from the Bible because they go, oh, I don't, I'm not sure I'll understand it. Well, let me tell you, when you read the Bible, God is with you by your Holy, the Holy Spirit. And yes, there might be questions that you have and people need to go to ask questions, but he helps you understand and apply what you read to your life. I wonder whether you would sin less if you thought about these truths. If you remembered that God is always with you, how would you spend your time in self-isolation during this period? What would you do? I imagine some of us have fallen into sin and done things that are unhelpful, made bad use of our time, watched things that we shouldn't have watched during this season. We're forgetting that God is always with us. So let us remember that and not sin, and not fall into doing things wrong, but instead use our time to honour and 
worship and glorify our God in heaven. How would our evangelism look different? I think it would look radically different. We would be emboldened. Wherever I go, God goes with me. Wherever I go, God, who is powerful to do amazing miracles, goes with me. And God's words are true. So I'm going to use God's words to speak life into the lives of people around me. How would our lives look different specifically in this coronavirus season? Well, I think the virgin birth gives us great hope. God is with us in this moment. We do not need to fear. And God is more powerful than coronavirus. And he's more powerful than any of life's circumstances because he's the one who caused the virgin birth to happen. And his promise that coronavirus, along with all disease and all pain and death, will be extinguished is true. God's words are trustworthy and true. And so we know that coronavirus will come to an end. And so by believing in this sign that was spoken of in 700 BC and was fulfilled 2000 years ago in the birth of Christ, it completely transforms our perspective and the way we handle this coronavirus crisis. We should be filled with hope and certainty that coronavirus will come to an end. It should be possible for us to be careful, to be quiet, to not fear, and to not let our hearts become faint. Instead, we should be soft-hearted, warm-hearted, strong-hearted Christians living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the prophets, prophecies of Isaiah that speak to us even today. Lord, there are many people in the Bible who go through trying and difficult circumstances. And to those people, you tell them not to fear. You tell them not to be faint-hearted. You tell them to be careful and to be quiet. And I pray that each of us in our lives and hearts would obey those commands. Lord, I pray against fear. Drive out fear from the hearts of everyone in Christchurch Fairham. Instead, fill us with faith. Make us soft-hearted. Make us warm-hearted. Make us strong-hearted to live for you. And I pray each and every one of us would know you are with us in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're with us wherever we go. I pray you would know your great and mighty power to do an amazing miracle that a virgin could give birth. And I pray that we would always remember that your words are trustworthy and true. May those three things transform the way we pray, transform the way we read the Bible, transform our temptation and inclination to sin, transform our boldness in evangelism, transform our hope and stability during a season of coronavirus and lead us to live Christ-like lives in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.